because one of his sisters and father's daughters, one of our sisters is coming to share, but Jesus receives all the glory. So we're going to pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for this night. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that stories give Jesus glory because it shows what he alone did. He uses people, and we thank you for everyone that's been used, Lord, and we always want to give honor, Lord. It's so important. But, Father, we know your Son, Christ, our living Lord, Redeemer, glorified Christ, is the one who receives all the glory. Tonight, I pray anyone listening that's not fully convinced that Jesus is the one that helped you can recover, that they would learn that. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in Misty's life. We thank you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So in 2012, I met this really pretty brunette in class. I remember what I was teaching when she dropped in, and it's just been awesome. I said a little bit about her last week, so I won't go on. It's been really awesome to watch the Lord raise her up. I thought she was uniquely qualified, and I saw the hand of God on her life then, and other people did. I'm just the one talking, so there was many of us that did. Um, but to watch what the Lord has done and to watch how the Lord has raised her up and done the work of, accomplished the work of restoration. So she's one of our pastor's wives. She's our assimilation leader in Celebrate Recovery. And she's an awesome, wonderful friend. Would you give Misty Haggard a welcome as she comes tonight? Come on up, Misty. Okay, I'm going to try not to shake too hard or be too nervous or talk too fast so everyone can follow. And my husband's sitting in the front row. But my name is Misty Haggard, and I am a child of God. Um, I have exactly five years, six months. I actually have an app to help me tell how long I have. And 1,000 days, 200, I'm sorry, 2,015 days, five years, six months, one week, 19 hours, and 21 minutes. And yes, they have an app for that, so you can keep up with it. And if you're feeling discouraged or having a day like I am where I'm kind of like nervous, let me look at how many days. I have 2,000 days that I made it that I chose not to use. So um, my verse for tonight is, Child of God, as Pastor Rhonda said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's 1 John 3, 1, which I think is an excellent verse, and that really shows the glory of God. Um, my husband, Pastor Todd, he has been an amazing, amazing force in my recovery. He's such an encourager. He's such an example. You know, not everyone can do five years, but with a pastor as your partner, it makes it a lot easier. So here's the picture of me and Pastor Todd. This is our cruise that we did this year, because only with God, because I never thought I'd be a person going on a cruise. But that's us on our cruise. <laughs> and the lipstick marks sort of cover up some eyeliner that got a little runny. So... <laughs> You know, I learned that from Pastor Rhonda. She's so good just to point out flaws, and that God is still glorious in it. So um, I was born, first picture, Austin, um, in Kentucky, a little small town called Pikeville. I think they do have a Buffalo Wild Wings now, so that's really cool, moving up in the world. Um, this is my father. I come from a military household and my little brother. Um, I was born in this little hospital, and my mom was a nurse, and my dad worked in the coal mines. But um, I think it was about 1980 or so, the coal mines went on strike, so my dad went from reserve to full-time Army Ranger. Um, he was Special Forces, Army Ranger. That's his little shirt he has jumping out of airplanes. And um, we moved to this, well, we lived in this trailer. My parents brought me home from the hospital in this little trailer that my parents had bought. And um, 
It was a yellow nursery. I see the pictures in Pooh Bear. You know, little Pooh Bear, I guess, was famous back then even. And we lived right above my grandmother, and she took care of me while my mom nursed, and my dad worked in the coal mines. And then a few years later, this is the picture in Boston, Massachusetts, um, where my, me and my brother were sitting with my dad. And um, I had a pretty normal childhood, I guess. My parents worked a lot. Um, we were with babysitters quite a bit, but I think that's pretty typical for um, today's society where American parents have to work. Usually two incomes are what is required. So um, I was in all kinds of sports um, and activities. I'm very sanguine personality. I love to do everything. You know, I uh, love to sign up, but then kind of forget what I sign up for. That's pretty common of me. I get really excited about it, though. So I did baton twirling, um, you know, do the little modeling thing where you get the clothes on sale if you walk the runway at the mall and you learn how to sit and eat properly. Um, I learned how to play the piano. I clarinet, violin, chorus, um, Girl Scouts, the brownies, and babysitter's club. You know, you go to a little babysitting class and you're part of that little club like the books and you learn to babysit. So I was involved in lots of little things to keep me busy. This is my um, 11th birthday. Um, <laughs> my 11th birthday when um, I had a birthday and I was so excited because I had gotten the speed skates that I loved. And um, it was a very powerful birthday because the birthday was um, when my parents had divorced and my parents divorced in a very um, abrupt way. You know, I think a lot of parents um, that maybe are not, um, don't really do life together, I guess is the word. When they do come together, there's some conflict, and that was the case. You know, I remember hiding in the closet, hiding in the room. You know, my dad um, was a very passionate man, so I, I want to make sure to give honor and, and not um, put down anyone, but he was a very passionate man. And coming from a military family, if you've ever um, seen how a military family works, it works on a set of rules, and you are the soldier, and you are reporting to your dad. So um, that's what happened there. Not long after my parents divorced, my mom started dating, which is pretty typical. And I remember as my um, mom's to-be suitors would come to the door, I remember, you know, we were playfully punching these men jumping on their backs, trying to act like heathens, wild kids, so discourage uh, them from dating my mom. You know, we just tried to absolutely act as rough as we could act to scare these men away. But somehow, it did not scare away my stepdad. <laughs> and he um, was a major when my parents met. And we had lived in Georgia for about 11 from, I think I was, I was 11, so about eight years, six years, something like that, seven maybe. Um, and that was the longest we'd ever lived anywhere. We had bought a house. You know, I had gone to the same school district. We had friends. We had neighbors. We knew everyone. Um, we started attending the Methodist Church. I was in a youth group. And then we moved. Um, and we moved to Washington State. We stayed there about a year when my dad got his master's. And then we moved to Alaska, where this picture was taken with me and Lacey that's up right now. Um, and I went to six schools in six years um, between Washington State and um, going to private schools. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to a private Christian school, 
but the school I attended were all the kids that got kicked out of the public school. So they were all at this school. So my parents, you know, I was caught with cigarettes, and uh, it was going around that kids were smoking in the back, and, and this is in junior high, and, you know, the principal got really excited, so he pulled us all in the office one at a time and asked us about these cigarettes. Well, he couldn't find my cigarettes, so I thought I was in the good. But then he lays on the guilt, you know, how these principals and vice principals do. Um, if you really, you know, um, are a good kid and you really want to do better and make your parents proud, you'll tell us where these cigarettes came from. And they're super serious about it. So they're digging around my purse, my little, you know, purse, and I can't find it. So finally, I tell them where they are. They're stuck in my wallet between the change and up. Um, I had, you know, cut a little place and pushed the cigarettes up in there. I don't know what the deal is about cigarettes when you're young, but it's like the thing is really exciting. You know, we're going to go smoke this half a cigarette and get really sick, and then we're going to go to the gas station tomorrow and steal more cigarettes, and it's just like a cigarette. <laughs> but um, so I did okay at my first school in Alaska. Um, the Christian school there was a little bit better. The kids um, had been in Christian school most of their lives. I felt like I fit in pretty well for the first time. I was on the yearbook committee. I was on the student council. I played basketball and I played volleyball. So I felt like I really kind of had my place. But that's also where the trouble started. Um, the principal's son, he was this guy that was, you know, ethnic looking and he had the black silky hair. He was tall. He was the main, you know, point guard on the basketball team. Everyone wanted this guy. And because he was the principal's son, you know, so that's like where it's at. And I determined that I was going to date this guy. Didn't know anything about him, really. Just the girls would talk about sitting behind him in class and looking at his hair and talking about how cute he was and how they wanted to touch his hair. And I was like, okay, this guy's it. Then I want what's it. I want to fit in. I want to be popular. So I date this guy, and, you know, we go on basketball trips together. We fly to Juneau. We fly to different places in Alaska because it's a very isolated place. So to play other teams, you had to fly. So we would play other Christian schools. I remember we played a Russian school where there are no fouls, and we were so excited. I remember there was a picture in our yearbook. We were like, yes, there's no fouls. We're going to do so good. We're going to beat this team. They absolutely killed us. <laughs> I mean, these girls were Russian. They were serious. They were buff. And I think all they did was practice, practice, practice. So... Yeah, the, I remember that. So they clobbered us. And I was the foul-out queen. You know, I thought I was going to get in there and do my little elbow thing and, and get the baskets. But, no, that was painful. And we would sleep, you know, in the gym. And um, sometimes they'd have a little cabin room for us, and we'd all pile in there and sleep. And those were really good times. So I'm dating this guy, um, and then we break up. Not really for any particular reason. I mean, I'm, it was this little silly thing that we got in an argument that – he didn't want to go steady, and I wanted to go steady, but be serious about each other, if you know what I mean. So I didn't really want to be serious with him. I wanted to go on a little weekend getaway with my friends. They were getting a cabin, and um, the social studies history teacher was taking us, and we were going to have fun that weekend. So I didn't want to go with him. I wanted to go with my friends, and this did not work for him. <laughs> uh, I remember he got me volleyball shoes and a rose of each color that all meant something, you know, and and I wasn't about it. I wanted to go with my friends. So we ended up breaking up. You know, he threw the roses at me in this dramatic high school scene. You know, the roses are thrown. And, and he's like, and his mom later is like, did he tell you what the roses meant? I'm like, no, he just threw them at me. Um, 
So <laughs> after this incident, for, you know, I really felt like that was a turning point because I don't know what was going on in my mind other than I broke up with this guy and now my world is over. I cannot go back to school. I am not going to have any friends. This is the end of my life. So I go home that night. I get in his soccer shirt and soccer pants. You know how that was the thing in high school. I, I guess it still is. You sleep in the guy's clothes or whatever. He, he brings T-shirts for you. And I decide I'm going to throw all of my secular stuff away. You know, throw all my CDs, all my books in the garbage dumpster. So I haul all this stuff out, and I'm like, I'm not going to listen to the Smashing Pumpkins anymore. <laughs> you know, it's all audio adrenaline or nothing. So I take all my little CDs, you know, and I throw them in all my books, and I throw them in the dumpster. And I, uh, you know, I have them, and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to die tonight. I'm, I'm done with this. He broke my heart. I can't go back and show my face to my friends that think he is, like, the next biggest thing, you know, not necessarily a, a god in the high school. They all love him. They all think he's a star. He's a principal's son. Everybody loves this guy. And I broke up with them. They're going to hate me. They're going to think I'm insane. So I went downstairs, and I got a bottle of ibuprofen. And I decided I'm going to take the whole bottle and go be with Jesus. And I cleaned my room, and I put on the clothes, and I said a prayer so I should be good. Um, so I take handfuls of this ibuprofen and handfuls. I'm like, okay. So I lay down, and I go to sleep that night. And I'm thinking I'm going to die, and this is going to be it. And I'm going to go to heaven with Jesus. Because, you know, we went to church. We went to youth group. You know, I spoke in tongues. I, you know, laid hands on and healed the sick. I felt like I was just, I was good. Jesus loved me. I love him. I'm going to go be with him. Because this high school stuff, I'm just over it. So I wake up in the middle of the night, and of course I am. Anybody guess? Yes, I'm throwing up. <laughs> so I'm over the toilet. You know, you're doing that. And um, you feel like you're dying. You feel like, well, you wanted to die, but not like this, because this is painful. This is no fun. You know, my stomach hurts. I keep just, I can't stop. So I got to a point where I was scared because now I feel pain and I'm uncomfortable and it's not the lay down and die kind of thing, you know, ritualistic thing. It's the I'm sick and this is not fun. So I go knock on my mom's door and tell her what I've done. And, you know, she is a nurse, but she's also a very passionate woman, but in a good way. Um, but she's definitely a nurturer. So she absolutely freaked out. I mean, can you imagine... If you went to your mom and said, I just swallowed a bottle of ibuprofen because I wanted to die. This wasn't probably the, you know, thing that the mom wants to hear. <laughs> so um, we go to the ER and we're at the military hospital and, you know, I'm drinking charcoal and charcoal. You know, they put it in a little cup for you and they coat your stomach so you can throw it up more. And I'm drinking the charcoal and then he comes to see me. I don't know who thought this was a good idea. <laughs> I mean, who said it was okay to let this guy come see me at the hospital where I cannot stop vomiting charcoal? So this is what we do. And, you know, it's like, I'm sorry this happened. I love you. Everything's going to be okay, you know. I don't know if his mom prepped him on this or what to say when you go, you know, this, this girl <laughs> that comes to visit someone at the high school. So um, after that... Um, just ironically, the same time, the church and the school split. They decided they didn't want to share the same building anymore. The way it worked was we had indoor-outdoor carpet with lines on it, and we played basketball and volleyball, and bleachers pulled out. And then on Sundays, they put the hoops up, and it was church. 
So they decided they didn't want to do that anymore. So um, the basketball team and girls went this way. The principal and his team of people that loved him and, and cared for him and supported him went this way. And my parents said, we're going to have no part of this. We're going to put you in public school. Well, I didn't have the best relationship with my parents at this point. Um, uh, my parents worked a lot. They didn't come to a lot of games, and I took that personally. They weren't home a lot because they worked. My mom, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, she was a single mom for a lot of those years. Um, my dad went away, but we weren't allowed to know where he was until he came back. So my mom worked two nursing positions because um, we had bought a house, so someone had to pay for this house. So my parents continued to work, and my stepdad, you know, he was finally um, commander over that position there. I don't want to be too specific. So they were always gone as parents, you know, have to be. So um, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I decided that the two-page list of rules printed up was too much for me. And I wasn't going to listen to them anymore. I wasn't going to have 20-minute phone calls three times a day. I wasn't going to do all my homework before I watched HGTV and the news because we had channels blocked. I wasn't going to do these chores that they wanted me to do before I could go have fun. So I decided I was going to do what I wanted to do. So I just started leaving whenever I wanted to leave. Middle of the night, middle of the day, I'd stay gone for a few days. Um, I met some guys in a barracks. Thank God nothing happened there because that's kind of a dangerous situation to decide you're going to go hide in the barracks with some guy you just met somewhere. Um, this friend that I had was in the picture there, and I thought she was a great person at the time. Um, and I'm sure she's doing great now. I don't know, but I'm sure she's doing wonderfully now. I don't know. But she decided that I was going to move in with her, and I just wasn't going to go to school for three months. I mean, I decided to. I mean, why should I go to school? I don't have to go to school. No one's making me go to school. So I will just stay at her house, and she goes to a different school in a different school district, and I'll just hang out at her house. Her mom's got carton of cigarettes, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, whatever it was, foods there. And her mom's never home because she's at her boyfriend's house. So this is cool. I have a house to myself, and we're going to do whatever we want. So this went on for about three months. You know, I'm running here, running there, meeting guys, you know, dating a guy that worked in a strip club because I thought that was so cool um, to go pick him up in front of a strip club that I wasn't even allowed in because I wasn't of age. And... Um, that came to a head one night when um, there was a situation where I feared for my life. Um, you know, I was lucky that a nice girl stepped in, you know, where guys were drunk. And I, so it kind of scared me. So I said, okay, well, if I really want to get out of this situation, I really can't do that anymore because that's kind of scary. So I guess I'll graduate and have my own life and have my own apartment. Then I can do whatever I want. My parents can never come get me or tell me what to do. So I buckled down, you know, going from private school to public school. Um, my parents and the vice principal had to sit down and told me I was a big fish in a little sea, and now I was a little fish in a big sea. And if I wanted to graduate, I would have to really haul bottom because it looked like it was pretty impossible. And because of the age I started school, I was already 19. So I didn't want to stay another year. And now that I can't do what I want to do, um, I guess I'm going to have to do some schoolwork so I can leave home. So um, that's what I did. I did correspondence, and I went to school full-time, and I took the little workers class where you learn how to be a good worker, and you get one and a half credits. So I worked at the Kmart. Um, I would take a cab there because my mom, you know, she worked and everything. So um, that's what I did, and I was determined that I would graduate. So 
I graduated high school um, by the skin of my teeth. It was a miracle. I think my Spanish teacher passed me because she felt sorry for me <laughs> because I could not speak any Spanish. My brother was in the same class, and he was a freshman, and I was a senior, and he was great at speaking Spanish. And he helped me with my homework, but I could speak no, no comprende at all. Um, I even tried to help out the Spanish club functions a couple of times because I was like, please, Lord, let this woman pass me. So I think she gave me C or D, whatever I needed to graduate. And, you know, she said, I don't think it's fair that you shouldn't graduate for an extracurricular. And I said, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I was very grateful. So I decide um, about that time my aunt comes to visit from Kentucky, where we're originally from. Um, and I am, you know, tired of feeling like I don't matter and I'm rejected, and my brother's the star of the family because I, you know, have felt this way all my life, and I'm alone. My parents work. There's nobody here with me. I just felt all alone in the world. You know, I tried to kill myself. That didn't work. Um, tried to get out and party a little bit. That led nowhere. So I decided um, after my aunt came that I'm going to move to Kentucky, where I'm from, and do what I want to do because that's what it's all about. You know, rebel, rebel, rebel. Here we go. So I went to Kentucky, and I enrolled in the community college, and um, I did okay for a while, um, you know, kind of smoking pot and on, you know, lunch breaks and stuff and breaks from college and running to this party, you know, and getting drunk, running to this party and getting drunk. I had my first apartment, which I was really proud of, and my parents, <laughs> try not to cry, God loved their soul because they respect the Lord. They are going to pay my rent because they want to make sure I have a place to stay. So, so um, in rebellion, I started having a guy live with me because that's what I was going to do. I was going to rebel. They're trying to help me and encourage me to finish school, and I decide I'm going to have a guy live with me. And when they find out about this, because I have to tell them, you know, I braggingly tell them when I go visit them that, I have a guy living with me, and no, he's not going to move out. We're going to get married. And she's like, you're going to get married? I'm like, hmm, maybe. So she said, well, then we're not going to pay the rent. I mean, what parent would pay the rent to have some guy live with them? So we moved in with his parents. And, you know, looking back at this time, I realized that everything my parents represented, you know, going to church, tithing, you know, that's something that was always in our home, was never a question, 10%. Never, you know, you honor God in all you do. You know, working jobs, paying a house payment, having a stable home, those things, you know, those are, in my mind, everything I didn't want. They were strict, they were mean, they didn't love me, and I really think that I felt like my parents did not love me, and they did not want what was best for me. I had this in my mind, and you could not convince me otherwise. So I married the guy that was the most opposite of my parents. So, um, yes, so he was everything my parents were not. He was not educated. He did not have a home. He did not have a job. He did not go to church. I don't think he'd ever been to church, and he loved to party. So in my mind, he was the perfect guy. So then I get pregnant, and we decide we're going to get married. And my sweet parents, they come to the wedding and help out and bring food. And um, this is when the addiction kind of starts. So he gets a job because my family, you know, we have to help little Misty Dawn 
we have to do something for her. You know, here she is, just whatever. So he goes and gets a job with my cousin. He's gone all the time on the road. And his friends come over. And so they bring drugs. And so when you're lonely, and this was probably about a week or two after Megan was born, um, that they bring drugs. And we decide we're going to smoke weed, you know, and do whatever they got. So that's um, where really my drug use started. And when you're young, you think experimentation is normal. You think everyone does it. This is what people do my age is they drink, they smoke weed, they use drugs. So that's what we did. Um, you know, I was, I guess, a little postpartum. You know, I had a first child. No one was there to really support me. I felt like my husband at the time was gone. And the doctor prescribed to me when I was in the hospital, Tylox. So these pain medications, sorry, I should probably not say the brand name. Um, were, were great because I could take them and I wasn't sad anymore. I didn't care that my husband wasn't home. I didn't care that I had this baby and I had worked in nursery at church and babysat all when I was young, but I had this baby all to myself and I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm here with this child and no clue how to be a mom, how to really be a wife, how to be a person, how to be an adult. I had no clue how to be an adult. So I take these, and, you know, I call the doctor back and say, oh, you know, my stitches, they still hurt. So writes me more. And then not long after that, um, fast forward a couple years later, I'm working as a CNA. You know, um, we have fought back and forth. It was a very abusive, drug-filled situation the whole time I was married to this man. I don't want to speak negatively because he is the father of my daughter. But um, this went on for years. You know, he beat me pretty bad. You know, I called my mom in middle, like, I guess it'd be the only pay phone that I can remember, and tell her where I was, and they would call and get me a hotel, and then they would come and get me, and they'd bring me back to their house, wherever they were living at the time. And I'd stay there for a while, and I'd tell them I was going to get a job, and everything was going to be fine. But then I'd go back, and I probably did this about six, seven times throughout the six years we were married. Um, and the last time was really the kicker because it was pretty bad. And I um, went to a women's shelter. Um, I had gotten a DUI amongst this time and a PI for being so high, but they couldn't figure out what was high on me because I didn't test for alcohol. And when you're in that state, I'm sure if anyone here has ever done drugs, you You're so confused and you're so lost. There's just no other word for it. But you think what you're doing is helping you because it gets you through the next day, the moment. You know, I can remember even years after that, every time I had a feeling that I didn't like, I'm tired this morning. Better take my medicine. You know, um, my foot hurts, to exaggerate. You know, or I'm sad or the kids are, you know, screaming and fighting or I have to go do this and I have to go do this. And as long as I take this and smoke this, then I feel okay and life is okay. So of course you want the easy way out. Everyone wants the easy way out because this medicine helps you feel better. So um, next picture, Austin. Um, it, you know, it allows you in your mind to continue. I could take the beatings. It didn't bother me when we would fight. And I don't want to make it seem like it was all his fault. I'm sure I had my hand on it. We would have you know, knock, drown, drag outs pretty often. 
I can remember fighting on a road up the holler and I pulled forward and was screaming and yelling and then I go back and I didn't notice he had a four by four piece of wood in his hand and he hit me on the head, actually it was this side, and I had, I think it was 13 or 14 stitches. They had to shave my head and the whole time I'm bleeding because when you have a head injury, you don't feel any, I didn't feel any pain. I felt nothing. I was scared because of the blood that just kept pouring. And when I went to the ER, you know, they're trying to get out of me what happened. And I'm like, I think I hit the windshield. I don't really remember. You know, he stopped suddenly and I hit the windshield. I mean, I'm not going to tell this man that I am with, I'm not going to tell on him. You know, in my mind, I'm not going to rat him out. I'm going to cover for him because that's what good wives do. So um, as we're going on this road, um, I keep going back and forth, going back and forth. And I keep going to the doctor. And when you go to the doctor, um, this is when my daughter, Megan, this is her first birthday. You, and I remember I invited all my drug friends because they were my real friends, right? <laughs> um, and all the family were there, you know, and I want to make sure that she looked perfect and everything looked beautiful and everything has to be so-so because appearance is the only thing that matters to my, in me in my mind because then no one knows anything is wrong. And then the next picture is um, me with Malachi, and I don't know if you can see. You know, when you look at people that are in addiction, the eyes is what tells it. The eyes, in this picture, the pupils are huge, and the smile is just like smiling for a picture. You know, this was after I had met guy number two, and I had told my parents that I would never do that stuff again. I get on a non-narcotic, um, pain medicine and take it by the handfuls and then whatever else the doctor would write me and you know my mom was convinced I'm bipolar because one day I'm happy one day I'm sad well of course I didn't have any pain medicine of course I was sad you know I'm sneaking behind her back and going to another doctor and when that didn't work I'm going to the dentist because I have an ouch my tooth hurts you know that's it that's it right there you know and when you just smoke cigarettes and drink Coca-Cola all the time, you'll develop some cavities. But I knew that I went to the doctor um, and the dentist, and I could get pain medicine. You know, I'd, I know that when I went to the dentist, he would give me at least 20. And then one time, I remember it being so bad that um, I was sick, and that was when I was pregnant with him, that I went to the dentist, and they wouldn't give me anything. So I convinced them to give me a root canal on a previous filling, and that was about $1,500 for 40 pain pills. And if you calculate that by the street terms, that doesn't really add up. But I was so desperate, I um, didn't care. I was prescribed pain medicine when I was pregnant with Malachi. Um, the doctors decided to leave me on it because I was already on it, and he would have gone into like a shock withdrawal and immediately would have probably died. I would have, you know, as they say, passed the baby. Um, we went to specialists. They tried to convince me to go on other like methadone spots, and I wouldn't do it. And I am very blessed because when I had Malachi, he came out perfectly healthy, nothing wrong, praise God. I remember they'd have to do the test every um, couple of hours, or maybe it was every hour, you know, his senses and his, to see if he responded to the sound and the touch and such. So by this time, you know, I had been pregnant and was on my medication. I had a daughter and was still on my medication. You know, I was on my second marriage, same guy, different situation. At least in my mind, this guy, you know, was a little bit more money, so he must be okay. You know, because he had a nice house, and I was cashing $8,000 checks, so he must be a good guy. Because in my mind, surely the problem was just the money. 
you know, the previous guy, he didn't have any money. He wasn't educated. He was always going through jobs. I was going through jobs. You know, it's really hard to keep a job when you're always high. And this guy had more money and had a beautiful home. So how could he not be the perfect Prince Charming for me? So um, that was this. But um, I am very blessed because in Louisiana is when, um, next picture, this happened. And what this says is all the forces of darkness cannot destroy what God has ordained, and that's Isaiah. The reason I brought this picture here is because even though all that happened and then then some, I mean, I'd be here for days trying to share every incident, um, you know, the DUI and the taking the knock to the head, you know, and the fighting with the father-in-law when you're pregnant, you know, and, and, and throwing things and all this violence that goes on. My parents decided after we ran away to Texas and my ex-husband went to jail, she brought me to um, her house and she decided for my 33rd birthday that she was going to send me to rehab. And I was very angry with her for that for a long time. Um, but after 14 days in detox, um, they dropped me off with Miss Connie and they said, don't call us, we'll call you. Because <laughs> my parents were done. I'm sure they were done. I mean, if you can imagine 12 years of just a little bit of what I mentioned of bailing me out and picking me up and paying my rent so we would have a place to stay and come to get my kids when I just can't take it. Really, I didn't have any more pain medication, so I was not willing to do anything. So I graduated the Hope House. And, well, I, October 18, 2012 is when they picked me up. Um, and I, as I've said before at the table talk, didn't believe I was an addict because I had prescription um, for everything that I had and everything I took. So in my mind, I was not an addict. I would spell the word A-D-D-I-C-T in the AA meetings because I never wanted to admit I was an addict because that was junkies. That was people that used IVs, us, where people sold themselves, you know, and did all these horrific things. And I'd never done that, so that couldn't be me. Um, and the next picture. But this is what God did. And let's just all give him a clap, because... Um, I never thought that I would see these kids again. And those that have walked with me know that I love them, but I also know that to pull them again and take them with me was um, a choice I couldn't make again. You know, I prayed to God that, um, and I recently shared this in a family meeting with my daughter and my parents, that when they were seeking to adopt my children and give them a permanent home and make sure they got to school and make sure that they were in sports and make sure that they were loved the way they deserved to be loved. I didn't know quite what to do. I didn't have the money to get a lawyer. I didn't have the $20,000 it would have taken to fight for them back. Um, but I just prayed for God's will to be done. And the adoption went through. So my kids are very happy and healthy now. My daughter plays volleyball. Student, she's a good kid. My son does golf and swimming, and my daughter recently told me that he's running track. Um, 
and he would have won first place, but he lost his shoes, so he got second place. And, you know, I talk to them. I get to visit with them. Um, they stay very busy. They take a lot of trips and vacations and such, and they are in sports. But I am just thankful for every day that my parents decided to stop their life and raise my children because of my choices. And then the next picture. <laughs> Sorry, it's when you lose your children, it's a grieving. It's almost like they're dead. You have to let go that much. So it still hurts. But this Christmas is uh, Christmas Day, um, or maybe it was Christmas Eve. And we are on my parents' patio, and we are doing s'mores marshmallows. So give God a hand. <laughs> because I never thought I would see this day where I was invited in my parents' home for one thing. You know, because I wouldn't let me in my house <laughs> if I were them. And then the next picture. Um, and this is my wonderful husband, Pastor Todd. Um, <laughs> You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and um, 14, that be careful when you're standing firm that you might fall. And no temptation is ever new to man that hasn't been conquered before, and he will always give you a way out. I stand on that verse because we're always tempted. You know, there's the little foxes, you know, the shopping that can get out of hand, the food that can get out of the hand, the work that can get out of hand. But I praise God that I've never relapsed. My daughter is still pretty um, naive to the things that happen. When I went to jail at Christmas uh, for Malachi's first Christmas, she still believes that I went out of town. And she recently told me that's when she found out there was no Santa Claus because he never came. So those things hurt. But I'm thankful today that I am in school. Um, I'm dual major for my bachelor's degree, which means I have two majors in one, or two degrees in one. Um, I will be done in about a year and a half, two years. And I've kept my job for five years at Olive Garden, <laughs> which is amazing because when you work in a restaurant, it's really stressful. But I've stayed there and I've stayed faithful because I trust God for better things. You know, they're good to me. I have favor there. Um, I thought about sharing a picture of a young man's confirmation. Um, when he approached me, he was living the gay lifestyle and he wanted to argue about it. And I said, mm, I don't think that's really appropriate at work, but... If you want to come talk to me and my husband in his office, he didn't even have an office, <laughs> then, um, then we can sit down and discuss your views and our views and figure it out. Well, he was really just trying to push and wanted me to do that Christian hate thing that he perceived was true, and I wouldn't do it. I just kept loving on him and loving on him and treated him like everyone else. Um, you know, and I listened to their stories, you know, and their, their things they need advice on. They know at my host stand that there is no cussing, that there is um, no bad language, there is no drug use, because I love Jesus, and I serve God, and, you know, whenever they hear my husband's an associate pastor, they're like, oh, you know, so immediately the sex, stop kinda, sex talk kind of stops, because they're like, oh, okay, she's a Christian. And the biggest compliment I ever received was that someone knew I was a Christian before I told them. And last, was it Tuesday night, um, someone said that they thought me and my husband were the real deal and we were great examples of Christ and how Christians should behave. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to, 
and not cry and thank God for that, that you're practicing in the world. Um, you know, I'd love to have another job. I used to think restaurant work was eh. But my husband reminds me that every day I counsel, every day I show God to them, every day I love Jesus and show them what that looks like. Because when they look at me, they don't see a drug addict. They don't see someone that never took time with their kids. They don't see someone that ran from the law. They see someone that serves God, is in school, and goes to work every day on time, on time, most of the time, <laughs> and shows up for work and gives 100%. And I just praise God for that alone. So I'm just very thankful. You know, Pastor Rhonda, Pastor Hank, and my husband, who is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, of course, the Herrings, they're amazing too, have all supported me. And every one of you guys, because you love me when I come to church and you tell me you miss me and ask me about my week and you cheer for my little story. So thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs>